Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. How many clean out a drawer, maybe, in their kitchen? Yeah? Ellen, good job. How many clean their garage? How many went to Ada County Dump? Nobody? Come on. No one took Pastor Kelly up on that challenge? Going to Ada County Dump? Okay. How many uh, actually then converted from the natural to the spiritual? And how many this week was a little bit of a challenge? Anybody? A few head nods. I'm nodding with you. You know, when it's, it's amazing when a message is presented, and the message isn't just for your neighbor. It's actually for you, too. Uh, how It's funny how the Holy Spirit actually put that into life lesson, the hours, the days that follow. And so last week we had the opportunity to listen to Pastor Kelly, who did just a phenomenal job talking on uh, a section out of Colossians chapter 3. We've been in our prison epistles uh, learning to think like a Christian. How many know that, come on, we could use some help in learning how to think properly like a Christian? Uh, and so Pastor Kelly talked about, as Paul addresses, there's certain things in our life that we have to put to death, that we have to throw off, we have to do away with. Why? Because, because you're a Christian, and those that, come on, I believe that if you're one of the 18 that gave your life to Jesus, come on. And if and no one else raised their hand, then I could assume that maybe all of us are right now in a right relationship with Jesus. And if so, then guess what? Paul's speaking right to you. Because you have an identity in Christ, there's certain ways and a certain uh, nature on how we're to live and carry ourselves. Can you say amen to that? All right, let me read in verse 12, chapter 3 in Colossians. You can follow along with me. It says, but put on then as God's chosen ones, this is Paul speaking, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving them the other as the Lord has forgiven you. And you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And Paul says, be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We've learned in this series as we listen to uh, our teachers and Listen to Pastor Chris, and last week, as Kelly reiterated this thought that Jesus is what? is our starting points, meaning our life really takes off, and the foundation of our life begins with Jesus. I love what Paul states here. He states three things. He makes two, three, actually, he states three terms that are titles given to a particular group in the Old Testament, the Israelites. Paul says, you ready for this, that you are what? You're chosen which is pretty amazing, especially if you've ever been someone that is being selected for a team and you didn't get picked, or especially when the world around you is somewhat indifferent to you or hates you or you've been discarded by someone. It's amazing when someone selects you and chooses you. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, because of Jesus and because of the achievements of Jesus, which is what? The work that he did on the cross. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose victorious, and guess what? As he's risen victorious, he comes to you and says, I pick you. But not only do I pick you, here's your starting point. You're already holy 
and you're really loved, you're beloved. Meaning your starting point is that one day I'm going to get my life together and hopefully be a good Christian. Your starting point from ground one is that Jesus selected you and he really, really, really loves you. Not only does he love you, he says that you're holy, meaning that you are created with purpose inside of you, divine purpose. You've been selected. Why? Because your life really matters to your family. Your life matters to the community around you. Your life matters in your vocation. Your life matters to the mission that God puts you on every single day. But if we fail to realize what our starting point is and that our identity is not wrapped up in our last name, our identity is not wrapped up in what we do, our identity is not wrapped up in how good we are or our talents or even our disabilities, but our identity is wrapped up in the very person, the name, and the nature of Jesus, then from there and only from there can you actually live this abundant, healthy, whole, vibrant life that God will use to be a minister to so many other people. So Jesus is our starting point. Our identity is found in Jesus. I was reading in Matthew chapter 22 this week, and it's a story where Jesus is in conversation with a few people, and this crowd, this group of, of men, uh, was trying to trip Jesus up in a few things. They said that they're trying to trip him up in his words. And so they begin to pit power against power, and they ask him this question. They ask the rabbi, who should they pay taxes to? And Jesus, as is, is brilliant as he is, he simply asks for their coin. He says, give me, what, give me what's on that coin. Read, look at the back of it. What's inscription is on there? And they said, Caesar's. And this is what he says here in Matthew 22. He says, then pay to Caesar's or render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And what? Render to God those things that are God's. So he could have probably followed up in conversation, and he may have. And if he hasn't, we're going to think about it today. And that's this. What inscription is on your heart? When you think about your soul, when you think about your identity, who, who lives there? Who owns it? Who do you identify with? Uh, who, who is it that you uh, think about? Who is it that you live for every single moment of every single day? If it's not Jesus, then I encourage you in these next few moments that you would actually consider it to be Jesus because he's the only one that knows you inside and out. He's the only one who can fulfill everything that you, you feel like needs to be fulfilled in your life. He takes what you think is amazing and he makes it uh, to the other end of the spectrum to where you, you can't believe that, man, why didn't I give my life to Jesus? Why didn't I say yes so much long ago? Why didn't I give every ounce of my heart and my passion to Christ. Why? Because he's the fulfillment of our lives. I want you to think about this. And I've been thinking about this last week. When you get up in the morning, what do you identify with first? Meaning, what are you before you're anything else every single day? And you know, I think oftentimes that change is based on the stresses and based on the situation, the circumstances that we're in. But actually think about it. What do you wake up today? What did you wake up and what was the first thought on your brain? What did you first identify with today? Because I believe whatever you identify with has a major influence on how you wear and what you wear, spiritually speaking, on your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. See, we have activity and identity. And what we've got to be careful, especially if you want to think like a Christian, we can't uh, mix the two. There's an activity and there's identity, and they're completely different. Activity is what you do. Identity is who you are. That's why if you are a Christian and you're living like the first part of Colossians where you've taken on things that aren't meant for you to wear and take on, you look strange, you look weird, uh, you're uninviting. Why? Because you say you're Christian, you identify with Christ, but you're living counter-opposite to that, right? And the other thing, too, is, though, uh, I feel like so many times we get involved in the wrong activities of life, and we feel like, well, that's just who I am then. 
Uh, my parents were alcoholics. I'm an alcoholic. So that's the activity kind of our family. So that just must be what our identity is. Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel is he severed that old nature, that old self. And guess what? Every single day, the same power that created you is the same power that sustains you to where you can say, today I am new in Christ Jesus. I was going to try and sing it, but I won't because I already forgot the song. But do you guys ever wake up like Laramie? And we're going to sing it in a minute. I mean, do you wake out of bed and you start singing, you know, in holy, holy. You know, you got to go up higher for Laramie, right? Or like Koki, the, the king of my heart. I even forgot. I just, I remember that line. Do we wake up and actually think our first thoughts is God today? Thank you. You are the king of my heart. Thank you today that you're holy. And because you're holy, you've made me holy. You know what that'll do? That'll make you, no matter what outfit you put on, You'll dress in what Paul tells us to put on as Christians. And he, he tells us to put six things on. And this message, too, is uh, it's for Joanne Marsden. Because when I think of Joanne Marsden, who's now in the very presence of Jesus, I think not just of one virtue that she carries, but she was a woman for 78 years. I've known her for 20. That any time I encountered her, you could actually see all six virtues lived out within her conversation her body language, the smile that was up there wasn't a smile that they just had to find some, some pictures. Hopefully we can just find a couple. No, she's all, that was her permanent grin, that smile. It literally, she exuded and radiated the very virtues of Jesus. She'd be around people. I'd see her in the lobby. She'd meet people for the first time, and I would be in tow right with her. And she would begin to ask for people's name, and they would share their name. And then she'd begin, once again, just to dis, dismember any any form of darkness, anything that was holding that person down just by being present with her. Why? Because she had the very present of the Holy Spirit in her. And she was wearing it every single day. I wonder what the church would look like if we wouldn't just be name only, but we'd be not we'd be named, but we'd also be clothed in what it looks like to be Christian, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So this is what Paul says. He says you're gonna put a few things on. And this is important because I love this. Jesus makes it really easy for us. He makes it easy for us in the fact that he didn't say, Shane, you're your starting point. He says, I'll be your starting point. It's like this. If you're a parent, and I think you appreciate this. As a parent, this is what you get to do for your kids. You get to go shopping. You get to pick out their outfits. You get to lay them and get them ready for the next day. All these little kids got to do is get up and do what? They have to put the outfits on. It is so easy for them. They didn't make their clothes. They didn't, maybe some of them didn't. They didn't uh, buy their clothes. They didn't work hard for their clothes. They probably didn't even think about what matches, what works together. All they have to do is wake up and put the clothes on. And this was easy for my wife and I with my son from ages one to eight. And then after eight, it got tricky. Because what we found is that we would have his outfits picked out for him. He would wear the outfits to church. We would get home, drive home, and I look in the rearview mirror. I'm like, wait a minute. That is not what we dressed you in. He's editing his clothes. I mean, he actually sneaking clothes to church because he didn't like what mom and dad picked out for him. If it was up to my son, he would be in sports shorts. He'd be in Under Armour, a tank top, and KDs. Winter, summer, spring, and fall. Funerals, weddings, birthdays. It's an outfit all year long. I think what happens if we're not careful, we start assuming that we know better than, than maybe someone else. So we thought we know what's going to really work for us. Or my issues, it's always been this. Um, I just don't, I, I'm bad at hanging clothes up or putting them away where they're supposed to be. So what do I do? I lose them. 
Uh, but there's a blessing in that because every time my wife finds them and shows them, I'm like, wow, you got me a new shirt? She's like, no, you've had this shirt. Why was it in the back of the car, back in the corner? I think oftentimes we just forget what God has asked us to wear every single day because we've just discarded it. Maybe not intentionally, but maybe we've done it uh, because we just were uh, uh, not intentional about it. We, we weren't putting it where it's supposed to to go. When you have the right identity, guess what? You're outfitted with the right clothing. I'll just say this real quick. Before my wife met me, I was a mess. Uh, about 20 years ago, this time in August, I was wearing a puka necklace. I had bleach, bleach blonde hair, two earrings, and like orange shorts. But hey, let's go over here. Mark Francie was also in a bad state before he identified with his wife, Rochelle. One time he pulled up, he says, do you think she'll like this car? I'm like, what is it? It looked like a blue tiger died on the front of it. I'm like, if you buy that car, you will no longer identify with Shell. You'll be a single man. So guess what? Because we've identified with people that know better than us, we, we change. We're different. Jesus is saying, you're going to identify with me and identifying with me. This is what you get to put on. Ready? The first one is we get to put on compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is this deep sympathy towards people that are in pain or in need. It's, it's very interesting. It's more than just intellect. It's compassion as you, as you look at even how Jesus exemplified it and the definition of it. It affects both mind and stomach. It's related to concussion. When you get a concussion, what is it? It's a head trauma, but most people that get concussions, they start throwing up as well. It affects the stomach. Compassion, I mean, think. when's the last time that you were moved with compassion to where it went from your head to even what you're saying or praying or declaring over someone to your heart, what you're feeling towards someone, to where it even affected you physically, you felt towards someone. Jesus says to be an identity, to be marked uh, with the identity of Jesus means that you have to wear compassion on a daily basis. Mark chapter 5 is a, is a sweet story of compassion. It's Jesus ministering in the multitudes, and you can read through the gospel narrative. He fed people based on compassion. He ministered to people based on compassion. He took care of crowds, but also he stopped to take time for just the one based on compassion. Compassion only happens with a high capacity of God's love, meaning you have to have a high capacity. The reservoir of the love of God has to be filled within you, or else we won't do anything. We'll feel bad or we'll have a thought for a moment, but we'll, we'll move on. Not only does it require a high capacity of God's love, it requires that we discipline ourselves to slow down, not be so busy, not be so important, and take time for people. With that combination, with slowing down, taking time, and receiving every day the overwhelming love of Jesus, guess what it'll do? It'll make compassion something that you wear and you operate in on a regular basis. And it's what the world needs. I mean, people are so broken. And I love what Pastor Kelly said. If we can't set the example, come on, parents, then who's setting the example for our kids? You know, I, I make sure that every time that I'm ministering to someone or and I, I don't stop always and give money to people on the corner. I know there's mixed views on that, but you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sit there with my son's in the back of the car, my daughter's in the back of the car, and think, man, I wish they would just get a job. Or I, this person, they should know better. This person, come on, you should know better. You can do this, 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 and this. Come on, you can help yourself out. No, 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 because what's that instilling in, in my kids is something opposite of compassion. I want my kids to see mom and dad's mind, conversation, and stomach be moved towards people. 
And you think about like Houston, what do, you, what do we do with Houston? It's such a big ordeal. I think this is the concern is because it's so big, sometimes we just, we panic and we do nothing. Uh, my challenge is just do something. And Tracy's going to talk about four things that we can do to be a help in this local community to help Houston. Are we going to take care of everything there? No. But are we going to do something that shows that we wear compassion? Absolutely. The next thing that Paul says, take up, he says, take up kindness. Kindness. You know, kindness is one of those virtues. It's one of those things that you don't realize you need it until you don't have it. It's like breathing. It's like uh, the fact that our heart's beating right now. I don't think any of you are thinking about your heartbeat right now or your breath. Maybe you are, if you are healing in Jesus' name. But you're not thinking about your vision, what you're seeing, or how you're seeing, or how the eye is working. No. But what happens is when those key things in our body, physical body, are restricted, guess what? Your body responds in abnormal ways. The same thing is true of kindness. You don't realize you need it until someone withholds it from you. and you're like, It's like takes the air out of you. But the same is true. You don't realize how powerful it is when you give it to someone. How a kind word, a kind thought, a kind action uh, can be the ministering balm or oil that is just what someone needs at that moment of their life. I love what Jesus says. Uh, he said, or Paul says, quoting Jesus, uh, talking about um, the kindness of God. He says, do you not know that the kindness of God, what? Brings people to repentance. Why? It was the kindness of God, think about it, that he withheld his judgment. What we really deserve, all of us here, what was, what we, we uh, because of what our sin did, uh, it's amazing when you think about what Jesus did with the cross references. It means that he stepped in with his kindness and his love, and he took on what we should have taken on. He, took, he absorbed it himself. It's the kindness of Jesus that leads people to repentance. I found this, that you can be in conversation with some of the most uh, difficult individuals in the world, but if you, you share your heart with kindness, it's like, it's like butter like in a microwave or on a stovetop. You turn the heat of kindness on, and it just melts hearts. Maybe this week, you know, we had identified last week, what are certain things that we've allowed in, we've slipped into maybe some areas of sin, or we've allowed certain things to clutter up our life that the Holy Spirit say, listen, this doesn't mark you. This doesn't define you. This is an activity that doesn't support your identity as being a Christ follower. Get rid of it. Well, what are the virtues that maybe we've forgotten about that we need to take on today? Is it compassion? Is it kindness? Also, the word kind, it comes from, um, it's German and Dutch, for the word child. So child in Dutch or German is kind. So kind is all, it's, it's actually in the context of family, if you think about it that way. Meaning it's a picture of how parents take care of their kids or the emotional support one to another in the context of family. Like, I think everyone in here, you, we've all probably do, and if not, you better do a better job. I, I don't struggle being kind to my kids, but I can struggle being kind to a stranger. Well, I think Paul would say that shouldn't be. Why? Because of the 11th verse that we ended on last week, that because in Jesus, uh, because we're all in Jesus, right? There's neither slave nor free. There's neither barbarian. There's neither uh, Jew nor Greek. Why? What is Paul saying? He's saying because of Jesus, not only is Israel, Old Testament, chosen, holy, and beloved, but now everyone that's under the name and the testimony of Jesus are part of this larger family. So if kindness is in the context of the home, guess what? You have to be, kind more, you have to be more kind than just the five people that are in your home. You have to be kind to strangers. Uh, why? Because it's the call and the mission that Jesus set us on. Come on. Can we be a church of kindness? The next one is humility. Woo! This is a good one. Uh, he says, take on humility. When you thought about it today, and this is my hope for you on Monday, is you're going to get up and, like, and you're going to begin to say, uh, I'm not dad first, I'm not mom first, I'm not 
uh, spouse first. Uh, I'm not employee first. I'm not stress first. I'm not whatever, talent first. I'm not disability first. I'm not saying what I am first is I'm a son and daughter of God. And because of that, I get to wear today the outfits that he laid out for me. So compassion's on me, kindness is on me, and humility's on me. How you create humility is you don't tell people how humble you are. Uh, you don't tell people uh, how, how less you are, that you're a worm. Uh, most people are like, well, I know that. Uh, you don't have to overstate it. Uh, you don't have to tell people that, you know, you're nothing. And when someone compliments me, no, don't compliment me. It's not me. It's him. You don't have to do that. That's silly. All you have to do to create a state of uh, modest to, to a, a modest standard of self, uh, all you have to do is get a really good picture of who Jesus is. When you compare your life to the greatness of God, you'll be the right humble you need to be. Uh, Isaiah, right, when he's caught up in the throne room, he, he's overwhelmed by the presence of God. And in that moment, he has a clear evaluation of himself. That he's a man of unclean lips. He's undone. Why? Not in comparison to himself, but in comparison to the very greatness and presence of the King of Kings. And so humility is something that uh, God requires that we put on. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition, Paul says in Philippians 2. Or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And I, with this, it, this, that's, this is only done uh, as we understand who God is and what He's done for us. Uh, the next one is we're to put on meekness. So we put on compassion. I'm helping you get dressed today. Compassion, kindness, humility. The next one is meekness, which is quiet strength. It's gentleness. It's power blended with gentleness. It's a person who's slow to take up an offense. It's someone that regardless of if they've been misinterpreted or misrepresented, uh, they're able to respond and not react. And unfortunately, I think we have too many reactors within uh, our Christian culture where someone steps on your toe, uh, they say a word, they say something to you that maybe you're misrepresented or they say something to you that you take personal offense with. Instead of responding and absorbing it like Christ did on the cross, what do we do? We got to get right and we got to get right right now. And so we use all these God-given uh, platforms that we could use to present the gospel and we use them as our soapboxes to what? To get even and to get right and to make right. I want to ask you the question, what's more, what's more astonishing when it comes to meekness? If it's strength under control, and Jesus exemplified this. What's more astonishing? Jesus on the cross having a fit and calling down heaven and calling down the host of heaven to smite and destroy all his persecutors, right? Those who are saying evil things against them. Or is it more impressive that we know he has the power to do that, but he holds his tongue. He holds his strength. He doesn't react. He responds and he goes all the way meaning he dies for what we should have died for. He's victorious. I mean, come on, the gospel is a picture of strength under control. It's a picture of uh, the virtues of God being played and being worn in the right order, in the right way. God's calling all of us to be people of meekness. The next one, as I get through this, and I'm not trying to get through this quick, but I know for sake of time, we want to do something here at the end. The next one is not only put on meekness. This is the fifth one. You put on patience or long-suffering, some translations say. So long-suffering. You know what long-suffering is? It's elongated meekness. So not only do you get meekness once, but you also get it twice. Paul states it again, meaning it's the ability to go the long road. It's a word that a lot of people don't like, especially in Christianity or just even in our young culture right now. It's discipline, meaning you're actually disciplined, not for short stints, but you're disciplined for the long road. Christianity is not a sprint. It's this long 
marathon that you have to pace yourself. And Paul, as you read through this, uh, long-suffering means three things, or there's three things associated to it. And he says it there in verses 14, 15, 16. It means that you have to bear with each other. What does that mean? That means you have to walk with people. In the good times, that's easy, but you also have to walk people with people through the struggle and through hardships. It's meaning you can't be, you can't be quick to quit on people. That if God's called you into a, this, this uh, place of family, then guess what? You have a responsibility then to bear with people in their burdens, in their low state. Uh, we rejoice with people when they rejoice. And guess what? We weep and mourn with people when they weep and when they mourn. That's what it's all about, being part of family. So he says, long-suffering, it's about bearing with one another. Guess else what we get to do? We get to forgive each other. And Paul puts this reminder, just like Christ forgave you, as you put on long-suffering and patience and discipline, you get to forgive people as well. Well, you don't understand what they did to me. It's, it's irregardless. It doesn't matter what has been done to you. Because of the achievements of Jesus, it makes it possible for you to be able to extend this incredible virtue. And the third part of long-suffering is something that Paul states three times in four verses. And we read it. He says, be thankful. Long-suffering, discipline, patience is all about learning to walk with people the long road, to forgive people even when they've done something maybe uh, undeserving and harsh, to forgive them anyways, and it's to be thankful. What is that? What's Thanksgiving? It's a spirit of worship. In order for someone to go the long road, they better, they better own and take uh, personal this idea and this understanding of the spirit of worship, being thankful in everything. Rejoice in hope, Paul says. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Romans 12, 12. Isaiah 40, verse 31. This ties into this virtue of uh, patience. It says, but they who wait for the Lord, I mean, this is long-suffering, this is discipline, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. And guess what? They will walk and they will not faint. So Paul's saying, if you identify with Christ, uh, if you want to know how to dress and to live and function like a Christian, uh, if that's what bears the, the image on your soul, uh, then this is what you need to wear. You need to put on compassion every single day. Three days out of the week doesn't do it. Uh, four out of the six virtues don't work, just like it didn't work today. Everyone, praise God, came in with their pants on, right? So if you just wear part of the outfit, it doesn't work. No, to be whole in your outfit means that you wear every piece and you wear it right, correct? We get it naturally. Let, as we get it spiritually, we see compassion, we see there's kindness, that's on today. Come on, there's humility, there's meekness, and there's patience or long-suffering. But the sixth virtue is the virtue that ties all of them together. It's the virtue of love, which it says it's the perfect bond of love. What does that mean? What's bond? It means ligaments. It means that it's like a ligament holds muscles and bone together. This is what love does. Love is actually the force behind compassion, Kindness. So how can you be kind? How can you have compassion? You have to have a high capacity, the love of God, working and surging through your life on a regular basis. We put on love. And this is, I think, just so essential. Uh, it's, we've heard it before, but what is it? In, uh, in the essentials, right? Unity. In the non-essentials, what? Charity. Love. I was thinking about this. It's, it's amazing. we got to be careful. Because before I read these maybe six virtues, some of you probably had them all memorized. Some of you probably even today woke up thinking about, yeah, I'm, I've been walking in these. I'm aware of these. 
Uh, but my concern is that virtues take a back seat to our preferences, meaning that as a church, we, we divide ourselves in our groups and we divide uh, what we like and who we like and who we're going to associate with and what we're not going to associate with based on preferences. And we're more identifying to what works for us and what's our preference than actually what Jesus says, no, this is the marker, the identity of the Christian life. It's the virtues of Jesus. What do I mean? I mean this, being a young man in this church and having my pastor of uh, 30-some years uh, up here and being under his, his, his counsel and listening to messages he preached, I don't remember one time Pastor Ken got up behind this pulpit or others and told the audience how to live their life, what to do and what not to do. This is sin. This is not sin. Why? Well, because the Bible's been created. It's been written to us. And we know the Ten Commandments. Maybe some of us don't, but get to know them. But not even that. Jesus says, he said, he took the 613 laws, the Hebrew laws, and what does he do? He breaks it down in the same chapter of Matthew 22 down to two laws. You love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. And he says the second commandment is equal to the first. You love your neighbor as yourself. What's my point with Pastor Ken? My point is this. I've been raised under incredible leadership and my parents exemplified this as well, they didn't lead with their preference. They didn't lead with what this is right and this is wrong. No, they led with the virtues of Jesus. And because they led with the virtues of Jesus, guess what? My activity followed what they identified with. I feel like, I mean, come on. I've met some of the most burliest of men that are some of the most kindest of men. And they're not blaming it on what? They're not blaming on, well, um, he's kind of rough, he's kind of rugged, that's kind of his personality. No, I've met some of the gnarliest of guys that were some of the kindest of guys. And then I've also met people that, should, that look sweet, that when you talk to them, they're the complete opposite. You, you can't get out of there fast enough. What's my point? My point is stop trying to like, define how good you are as a Christian based on what you do and what your neighbor doesn't do. Right? How about we start defining ourselves as Christian based on how well do you love compassion? How kind are you to a stranger? How, how humble are you when you get the vision, the understanding of who Jesus really is? How meek are you? Do you suffer long? Are you quitting on people? Because you can have 20 rules not to do for your family, but if you're quitting on your home, guess what? You've just taken off a major virtue called patience and long-suffering. Love is what ties it together. And some of you, I felt it, you, like last week, it's like, man, I, there's so many things I'm supposed to put off, but I just don't know how to, how to put them off. It's difficult. Will they come back on? I, I, I have something for you. Uh, it's right out of the Bible that will help with that. If you say that, yeah, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you identify with Jesus, guess what? Even before you got the words out of your mouth, he identified with you. And because you're in Christ, you can be mindful of what your pastor Chris mentioned to you a couple weeks ago in talking about Martin Luther when he was overwhelmed in this melancholy state. What would he remind himself? He would remind himself, I am baptized. What, what does that mean? I no longer identify to my old sin nature. I no longer identify to that old self. That used to be me, but because of the achievements and the workings of Jesus, I no longer have to identify as that man any longer. I have a new name. I have a new place. I have a new mission. And it's all under the name, the power of Jesus. But then consider, so I encourage you, if you have been water baptized, next Sunday we're having water baptism right over here. Sign up afterwards. It'll change your life. It's a public 
Come on. It's a public demonstration announcement that is for me in my life, I'm serving Jesus. But something supernatural happens as well. If, if you've been struggling in areas of sin, it's amazing what happens under the, the waters of baptism. There's something powerful to it. That's why Jesus says, repent and, do, and be baptized. But then John comes along, and this has been John's message in the gospel. John comes along and says, there's actually uh, a baptism after me. There's a person that is coming that I can't even bend down and unlace his sandals. He baptizes with with the Holy Spirit. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's hard for us sometimes to remember and to wear correctly these virtues because we, we don't think long enough and we don't give room for the Holy Spirit to move and minister within our life. I don't know if you can feel or not or if you're new to this church, but where there's two or three believers, guess what? The presence of Jesus is right there. And there's the presence of God in this room today. No one forced 18 people to give their life to Jesus uh, after our worship session. No, no one did. That's the move of the Holy Spirit within our life. You want to wear your virtues well? Then what, what do you do? Set your eyes on the, the Holy Spirit. Paul says if you live in the Spirit, come on, it makes sense. Then walk in the Spirit. Every single day, do what Benny Hinn used to say. He says, good morning, Holy Spirit. I'm about your business, Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm following your lead, Holy Spirit. When you roll out of bed tomorrow morning, uh, t- tell yourself, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm special because through my life, uh, people are going to see the grace and the wonder of Jesus. Come on, if we're called to be noble Christians, then we should be what? We should be noticeable Christians, meaning we shouldn't blend in so much. They're like, oh, you're a Christian? No way. That's crazy. If you're called to be a Christian and identify with Christ, then it should be evident to the people around you. There's also other things. I'm gonna, I'll end with this, and we're going to take communion, and it's going to be an act of worship and putting on and identifying with Christ. Um, but Paul goes on to say in the 16th verse, uh, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right? So how do you, how do you maintain the virtues of God every day? Well, you, you let the presence of God, the voice of God, speak and rule in your hearts. It'll form and create a sense of peace. Uh, it'll stabilize you regardless what situation you face or what you're going through. But not only that, Paul repeats again, uh, continue to be thankful. And then in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ Let the message have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think when you allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, uh, what happens is uh, the virtues are an offshoot, a fruit of that. Galatians chapter 5 and 6, Paul will repeat this again in, in a different way, talking about the fruits of the Spirit. The outflow of the word of God richly dwelling in us uh, is incredible overflow in these virtues. Do you think our pastor Chris should be the only person rich uh, and deep in theological understanding of the Word of God? No. It shouldn't be uh, the exception. Come on, as Christians, it should be the rule. So guess what you have to do? You have to make the Word of God a priority on a regular basis. And you can be a Christian a long time, but next thing you know, you find that, man, I got a lot of rooms in my house cluttered. Why? Well, because... Maybe you've allowed certain things in. You've wore certain things that were never for you to wear. Uh, there's an author who wrote the book, Return to Christianity. And, think, and I want you to, this is, out of, this is from 1943. He says this, steep your minds upon in and around the redemptive story of Jesus. 
where the peace of Christ really rules in the heart and the word of Christ really richly dwells in the Christian company, the skeptic, the outsider, and the man who has never found a faith cannot fail to sense the enthusiasm and joy of those who believe, longing to share their secret too. When we truly live a life devoted to the word of God, wherein the word of God dwells in us richly and abundantly, we become appealing to the onlooker, not appalling. They say, what are they wearing and where can I acquire it? He goes on to say, what the world needs is Christian individuals with real and depth of power. Such individuals will become the centers of the creative and redeeming fellowship wherever they are. They will become the nuclei of a growing and multiplying cells. We need men and women today whose will to live has been freed from the will of power, from success, from the will of superiority, from the will of social recognition, from the will of possession, from the will of pretense, and has found its peace and power in the will to love, the will to fellowship, the will, the will to self-giving service, the will to do God's will and to be his children. Verse 17, Paul ends, And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So I close here. Whatever you wear out of your home should be what you wear when you come home. So if you get, if you get dressed, if starting the day is easy, guess what? Remind yourself throughout the entire day who you are in Christ Jesus. The virtues that you leave with, let those be the same virtues that you come home with and minister to your family. Can I pray for you? And then we're going to take communion as a response to this. Father, we thank you for, Lord, your, your grace on all of our lives today. So, so blessed that the fact that uh, you've called us each by name, that we've been selected. Uh, you've set us in a place of uh, holiness, set us apart for a divine purpose, uh, and you deeply love us. Today, I'm asking you to examine all of our hearts. Uh, and if there's been virtues that we've discarded or uh, haven't thought about, and virtues that need strengthening in our life, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring that into our eyes, mind. Lord, that today we put on as a church, an individual, as a family, we put on the compassion of Jesus. Come on, we put on the kindness of Jesus. We would put on the humility of Jesus. Lord, we take on your meekness today, and we take on the love of Jesus, the bond that holds all these together. I pray this would be a week, Lord, that you use your church uh, and the virtues that you've given us and how you've outfitted us. Uh, you'd use all of our lives, our story, to be an incredible help and a response and hope uh, and uh, hands of care and grace to people within our community, uh, people in Houston, people around our nation, our neighbors and strangers. God, I pray that we would really live out Jesus for the people. Lord, we honor you today, and we just say, God, we respond. As you lay out the articles of clothing for us to wear, we simply respond by getting up and putting them on every single day. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.